The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. And we welcome you once again to Afternoons with Mike Heard Daily here on The Shepherd. Back with me for, the, I don't know, the third or fourth time anyway, Alex McFarland. My goodness, what a, a man of God and a teacher, a preacher, an apologist, an author. You travel around all over the world, it seems, and you're, you're constantly having your finger on what the pulse is of this country. Alex, it's great to have you back here during Christmas week. Well, thank you so much. It's a great honor to be back. Thank you. You're certainly welcome. Uh, There's a lot going on in the world, Alex. And uh, again, part of what I just mentioned that you specialize in would be speaking to people, especially to the young people of this day and age. Uh, This is a time unprecedented with what seems to be crazy policies, crazy events, Uh, Title 42 is about ready to make the problem we're having in our country with illegal immigration explode. Uh, What are your thoughts as you look over the country right now during this Christmas week? What hits your mind? Well, first of all, thank you for what you do, and thank you for allowing me to be on. Um, You know, I, I care about this country. I'm a Christian first. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I'm also a citizen and a patriot. I love America. And, um, you know, having traveled to much of the world, uh, first world countries, third world developing nations, impoverished countries, you know, my wife and I, my wife is a nurse and I'm an evangelist. And as such, you know, I've been to all 50 states and five continents. Um, I know America has been the greatest place in the world to live, really. Uh, And because we were founded on a Judeo-Christian worldview, um, and that's a whole other subject that I teach on in my constitutional classes. I teach on the, the philosophy of the Declaration, Constitution, Bill of Rights, and this gave way to human rights as, as, a, as a movement all around the globe. So America has been, in terms of liberty, opportunity, prosperity. I mean, all other generations of human history would look at America, even even the most impoverished Americans right now that have food, shelter, health care. Any other generation of people in world history would look at America and think that we are bathed in wealth. Right. And and yet, uh, you know, I meet people everywhere that that have been groomed to hate America. They've been told by public education that America's terrible, America's bad. America's so racist. Oh, yes. Uh, structurally, systemically, irredeemably racist. Uh, ju- you know, just because people aren't given everything they demand, just because people are held to uh, the point of law and are accountable, you know, accountability for your deviant behavior is, you know, racist, we're told. And so so what's so sad is that we're now a couple of generations into a, an America where masses of the population have been lied to and really brainwashed to mm-hmm. believe that yeah. this country is terrible. Well, uh, I absolutely think it's been intentional. Um, this has absolutely been an intentional um, changing of the culture to get rid of representative uh, constitutionalism and ultimately usher in Marxism. And, and what, what's so sad is the, the poor fools like you and me that work our job and pay our taxes, and we see our tax money that we have to send in Um, you know, just used to fund more and more destructive policies. Um, You know, that's uh, very disheartening. Uh, Another problem that we've got is um, we've 
one of the entities that could have been used over the last 25 years to help shore up the foundations and save the country, one of the great entities that in past generations has been a friend to freedom were the pulpits. Mm -hmm. The church, and, yeah. Yeah, the, the church. And and I say this as a person that, you know, by the grace of God, I've pastored two churches and spoken in over 2,000 churches, wow. literally. Wow. Two, uh, over 2,000 American churches throughout all 50 states. And um, it's, it's just like about a week ago today, I got I had a pastor of a major Baptist church in North Carolina call me, and they said, we want you to come in the spring. But the pastor, he said, I, I'm just going to tell you right now, we want you to come and speak, but no politics. He said, I don't want you to speak on anything moral, social, or political. And I said, well, then you don't want me to come because um, I have to speak truth into the situation in which we find ourselves. And when pastors, you know, are afraid to tackle things like immorality and the, the fact that we are not being good stewards and we're not working to save this nation. Uh, I, I truly believe that part of the reason we are where we are is because um, not all, but many of the pastors over the last 25 years that could have made a difference by telling their people who to vote for. Yes, I said it. Pastors, you need to tell your parishioners who they should be voting for. Uh, I mean, we, we should do that uh, and evaluate and based on, you know, moral. For, and first and foremost, uh, a candidate, whether it be for an elected office or a judgeship or whomever, if they do not believe in natural law, we should not send them to Washington. Now, most pastors wouldn't even know what that term means. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so we're, we're in a place where there's been a dearth of leadership, but there's been a dearth of education and discernment. Now, we have prayer, we have recourse, and God in his mercy at very critical junctures of history sends a revival. And that may be the case for America, although I'm not sure. But but we're we're at a place where it's not merely um, you know some superficial differences. We're we're at a fundamental crossroads of what we believe about truth, what we believe about humanity, what we believe about right and wrong, and and the the sad thing is I'll I'll end my little discourse here briefly, but to. To see things implode, all you need to do is nothing. I mean, you know, leave leave the house to the elements, and it will eventually fall in. Mm -hmm. But to preserve, to build or preserve something, takes investment, intentionality, and it's like Benjamin Franklin in 1787 when he was coming out of the Constitutional Convention. And uh, somebody asked him, said, what type of government will we have? And very cryptically, Benjamin Franklin said, a republic if you can keep it. Yes. See, to fall into chaos and lawlessness, all you need to do is what we've done. Just sit back and, and opt out, do nothing. But to preserve... What we've had takes care, investment, courage, and, um, you know, from January to October of 2022, in coverage related to domestic news stories, the word lawless or lawlessness was used 440 times. I mean, think about this, 440 news stories wow. about America. In American cities, major cities, New York, Detroit, and Title 42 is, is part of this, the ending of Title 42. But the word lawless or lawlessness was used to describe America more than 440 times in the first 10 months of this past year. Um, it didn't have to end up like this. 
there is hope for recovery, but it's going to have to be something decisive and major and uh, frankly, with the blessing and the hand of God upon it, in addition to good human effort. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's uh, beyond just even what our hands can do. We need a miracle from God. Now, Alex, I'm going to ask you a question about this whole thing about Title 42 ending and the lawlessness that's, uh, that we're seeing uh, being, uh, I guess, part and parcel to the government. They're just ignoring what seems to be laws on the books that that kind of dictate how we treat immigration, how we treat the southern border, what's going on uh, with people coming in. We're doing way beyond uh, a disregard for those laws. They're giving away free cell phones and uh, voting privileges and money and credit cards, all of this stuff that we hear is that these people are being given. It boggles the mind to say, where does this end? And do you think that this new Congress coming in in January can make a dent in this? You know, I I hope the new Congress uh, can can make a dent in it. You know, it's funny. The White House claims that Joe Biden has been to the border and there is no record that Joe Biden has been to the southern border. And, it, it, you know, it's really um, it's very sad that, you know, the president's job, the president has a fiduciary responsibility to attend to the welfare and the needs of the American people. And this thing that, um, you know, illegals coming in, uh, illegals, you know, we're told they're seeking asylum. I think many of them are um plants because listen to this i was just in texas i'm not going to say where but i was in texas to preach in in a major city and the the sheriff of this county came came to me and he wanted to meet with me i met with the sheriff and he said you need to please because you have a radio platform and the the sheriff of this town and the mayor they were christians Mm -hmm. they said you need to understand down in texas Uh, I was near Corpus Christi, Texas. They said some of the illegals being pulled in, brought in here, have been trained. They're soldiers, some of whom they've even arrested, and they found out they had a record of being trained as soldiers in China. Oh, my goodness. Now, Now, this is real. This is absolutely factual, what I'm telling you. Imagine this. They said in Many of these little border towns, migrants will come in and a a car will pull up. Four, five, six migrants will get in the car and and jet off to Lord knows where in America. Mm -hmm. So so what, what people need to understand is these are not just poor, impoverished, Hispanic folk wandering northward to hopefully get into America. Some are, no doubt. But many of these people are trained. Now, here's the thing. All of these soldiers that are coming in through the southern border that have been trained in China, sent to South America, brought up through our southern border, uh, what's going to happen? Well, at some future point when there's enough of a saturation, will, will this network, of militarily trained illegals be activated and will will china declare war on america by activating this network of soldiers that have been sent in and and the current administration rather than closing the border and you know calling you know for a a national emergency and and let's close the border and Let's do what presidents do, look after the American citizens. No, uh, this this administration is happy about the immigration crisis. Now, Title 42, uh, during the COVID pandemic, President Trump um, put in Title 42 to allow officials to block migrants from seeking asylum in cities because we were under a public health crisis. Now, as Title 42 uh, is set to end. Uh, what what does the mayor of New York say? He says, "Well, services will be suspended." Uh, Eric Adams is saying, 
that um, services will be cut so that they can prioritize the care of immigrants. Wow. Once again, um, the American people will be taking a back seat to these yeah. that are coming in illegally. How about prioritize the, the interest of your taxpayers and your citizens? Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, the, the left has been very successful at spreading a narrative that people believe Republicans are, you know, don't care. And yet, I mean, my goodness, the, the world is on fire and we're looking after illegals. We're coddling criminals and felons. We're banning uh, Christians. And yet, um, just think, the, the, the falsely named Respect of Marriage Act was celebrated with drag queens in the White House. Mm. Um, now, we obviously, we love all human beings, but there are some things morally right. There are some things unequivocally morally wrong. And we're a nation that has abandoned what is moral and true, and we're embracing that which is immoral and false. And there, there are and will be repercussions for this. Mm -hmm. Without a doubt. Yeah, that is so upsetting when you think about that. And you again, you see this coming from the highest levels of American government. And clearly, we have stopped being good in the effort to be <laughs> something else. I'm not sure what it is that they're aiming for by having all of this in, but it, uh, it, that those are scary thoughts. And I, I'm sorry folks for the upsetting truth that we're all having to deal with right now, but it's really true that if we do nothing to do nothing is to just kind of lay down the same way we did in 2020 when the COVID crisis hit. So many people just kind of in a real way laid their rights down and the government were happy to pick up those rights and then to start telling us what to do and what we could do and can't do. So Americans are going to have to rise up and say no, no to this. And I'm praying again that the new Congress will be at least successful in doing that. You know, we've only got a minute left here, Alex. Uh, what is 2023 like for you? Well, uh, thanks for asking. By the way, I'm going to be at the Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center in Western North Carolina, July 7 through 9, uh, teaching First uh, and Second Peter at the Cove. And uh, we'll continue to do our radio shows and our youth camps. We've got eight summer camps we're doing. We'll have 1,200 teens. And the website for that, if I could give that, is uh, equipretreat.org equipretreat.org. But, you know, we're just going to do, we'll, we'll keep loving Jesus, telling people how to be saved, and praying for a, a move of God in our country. Uh, young people are hungry. Young people have got a, a real hunger for truth. They want to know context. They want to know who they are and where they are and what life is all about. And um, they're very receptive to the gospel. And, and I want to say this too, young people are very receptive to the truth about our nation. Mm -hmm. Somehow intuitively they know America is worth caring about and it's our privilege to tell them how, how they can serve God and country. Well, thank you for the way you do that so successfully. Give us that website one more time. Yes, thanks. Equipretreat.org for our camps and then my own website, which is alexmcfarland.com. Alex McFarland, thank you for being with me one more time, and we'll catch up with you in the new year, my friend. God bless you. Have a great day. All right. God bless. We'll be back in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top-trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. 
Hey, everybody, we are back with segment two and on the line with me, a first time guest on my program. So excited to have a fellow broadcaster. He is a retired TV news anchor, Emmy award winning broadcaster at that winner of the prestigious Edward R. Murrow Award for Excellence in Broadcasting. And Mike Hambrick is president of Save America's Freedom Foundation. Mike, it is such an honor to have you on the line. Well, it's an honor to be here. It's a great pleasure, and I appreciate you having me on. Glad to be here. Now, since retiring from broadcasting, you've had a few busy things that's kept you uh, you going. You're an author, and we're going to hear more about that in a moment. But before we began this interview, you were telling me about what had to be a harrowing about with COVID-19, one that left you in the hospital for four months. That's correct. It was... It was COVID-19, COVID pneumonia, which was even worse than just that. Yeah, that's right. COVID. Uh, it, it was truly a divine intervention, Mike, that, that saved me. The doctors have no explanation as to why I am alive. Um, I had uh, was in the hospital, as you say, for four months. I had two intubations. Uh, I was on dialysis, had three blood transfusions and three heart presses and actually flatlined uh, oh, wow. uh, and then was and came back. And, and I will say that it, in, I went through many experiences in that process. My fiance and my uh, children had to fight daily, and I mean daily, with the, the doctors who were saying, trying to convince them to just let me go, let mm-hmm. me die. Yeah, I was, I was not going to be normal again. I would never, never have a quality of life. And they just, it was, you know, that was their protocol, I guess, at the time, just let me go. And they, and they refused to do that. But, and I was in the process of writing this novel. And of course that was interrupted by, by, by COVID. But indeed it was, I can say it was a, a blessing, Mike. I, I did have a divine experience. I was in some level of consciousness and I was in and out of comas for four months as well. Some induced, some not. Um, but in, in, in one uh, iteration of my being in a coma, I actually had a divine experience. I, I, in this vision, in this, this experience, I was, it was like I was rock climbing to the top of, of, a, of a rock face and as I came over the top, I was saying to myself, I knew that I could I was off breathing uh, assistance and I knew that I that my body couldn't breathe, I couldn't function, and I was probably headed very close to death. And I was just my mantra was, okay, uh, God, it's just me and you. Uh, I can't do this alone. Mm-hmm. They the doctors have given up on me. I know that I am weak. Uh, it's just me and you, God, me and you. And that, that was my mantra at some level. And then as I, as I climbed up over the top of this, of this rock face, uh, I had a vision. And as I looked over the top, there was, uh, I saw Jesus, Jesus, he was in a profile, uh, sitting on a boulder. And after a moment, he turned and just looked at me. I didn't hear a voice, but I looked in his eyes mm. and I felt, I knew it was a presence. It was like a power that washed over me. And I knew at that point, I didn't know how and I didn't know when, but I was given the confidence and the comfort that I was going to live, that I was mm-hmm. not going to die, not going to die. And, and that certainly is wow. was the case. I'm here today. You are but not with not without divine intervention. So after that, I I began writing the after some physical therapy for a month or so. I began writing the second half of Memphis, which is the first of two novels. That it, there's a sequel to Memphis, and it, it, I began this book, Mike. It's just. I was a rock and roll DJ in Memphis during the 1960s, in 1967, 68, 69. I was there when Martin Luther King was killed. And th- this book began as just kind of writing the 
the story of the Memphis Sound, the Mississippi Delta Blues, the history of the blues, seen through the eyes of a, a young broadcaster. Uh, but as I went through it, I felt that that was, you know, how much real interest is that? And, but, and, I, and I knew that at some point I was going to have to deal with the assassination of King because I was there when it happened. But I didn't know how. And I did a lot of research on, on the assassination. And I came to the conclusion that there is no doubt in my mind, in fact, before she died, King's wife, Coretta Scott King, came to the same conclusion that there was a conspiracy to kill her husband. Mm. There was, a, and that James Earl Ray was not the person who pulled the trigger. And the more research that I did, the more convinced I became that it was a it was a far-reaching conspiracy that brought together disparate groups of of individuals and organizations that ordinarily would not be in concert with each other. But they came together over one goal, and that was to kill Martin Luther King. And I'm the, the, the conspiracy reached to the highest levels of power in Washington, D.C., and it brought together the Dixie Mafia, the Klan, the, the racist members of the Memphis Police Department, uh, the uh, New Orleans Mafia, Carlos Macello and his organization, mm -hmm. they all came together to uh, ensure that on April 4th, 1968, in Memphis, at the Lorraine Motel, that Martin Luther King would be assassinated. Wow. And he was. So that's that's this story, and it's the story of how all that developed. And I, I guess it's it's safe to say that this is somewhat historical fiction and it's fiction based on fact and it, it, it i think it's a good story not only because of the conspiracy but it tells kind of the journey of this young broadcaster and his exposure to the blues his journey through that process uh and his association with many of the people who produced recorded and promoted and sold music in that era that was produced in Memphis. There was what was called the Memphis Sound during that time. Mm -hmm. And and many uh, artists came to Memphis to record there to try and capture that Memphis Sound. So some of those experiences are, are in the book as well. And it's the beginning of the journey of this young broadcaster. As I say, it's Memphis is the first of two novels. The second novel is called Dance with the Devil, and it is a continuation the, the protagonist's name, his name is Matt, Matt Harrison. It's a continuation of Matt's career into uh, television and serious journalism mm -hmm. and reporting, reporting other conspiracies that, that, are, that are national, international in nature. And his harrowing uh, process of covering those events. So it's, this is kind of a, a, a saga of this this young man's uh, journey that began uh, on, on in a major uh, large ranch in far west Texas out in the hill country. Of, I mean, the, the Big Bend country of Texas. Now, how much of the persona of Matt Harrison would be representative of your own life? Or are, <laughs> is there yeah, that's a, a good? Uh, yes, that's a, that's a good question. You, uh, you, you don't write fiction without it being semi-autobiographical. <laughs> I wondered about that. Yeah, and this certainly is. But I, I do take uh, liberty with you know the creative license that fiction gives you to uh, expand on that. It's not it's not totally based on me, and it there it is fiction, but it is fiction. Uh, I think to tell a story, and in in strangely enough, Mike, this is. This is in keeping with my effort with Save America's Freedom Foundation. Part of the, the acronym, everything, I spent the last 30 years of my career in Washington, D.C. So every organization in, in Washington has an acronym. And so Save America's Freedom Foundation is for short is SAFE. Save America's Freedom Foundation. So SAFE came about in, that was also with a great deal of thought and meditation and prayer and uh, 
communication with the Lord that uh, that this effort should be undertaken. And this was back in in, in 2018 is when I first started mm-hmm. this effort. Uh, I had done a lot of research on what was what all of the symptoms and of what was going on in our country, what was all the things that we were reporting on and seeing that were disturbing? What what was this all about? Why why are we seeing all this this vitriol and this uh, attack on the individual rights, religious uh, freedom, uh, freedom of speech? All of our guaranteed rights in the Constitution are being obliterated. But but why? What was the purpose? And I did a lot of research prior to starting the the organization, and I came to the conclusion we suffered through a socialist revolution in this country that began uh, early in the early 1900s by a group of of, uh, individuals and people who were very patient, very smart, very capable, very dedicated, but absolute socialists and wanted uh, their goal was the undoing of America uh, and the freedoms that were guaranteed this country uh, by the Constitution, which was motivated by the natural law of the Lord mm-hmm. and, and the freedom of the individual. So there was a direct attack on religious freedoms as well. So I was uh, out in the, in the Big Bend country uh, debating what to do, how to, you know, and I was praying about it. I was jogging along the Rio Grande, the banks of the Rio Grande, and I had uh, uh, another uh, affirmation of what I was doing was the right thing to do was to found this nonprofit foundation, which I I did, and that would have, that would, of course was interrupted by my battle with COVID mm-hmm. and, and leading up to that as well. So I'm I'm just now getting that back uh, on track. We do have a website at SaveAmericasFreedom.org, uh, but as I say, there we're needing to update and 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 bring that back into existence and and the effort being full full bore full time now when did but you actually have this covid bout it was in uh it began in july of 2020 mm-hmm. yeah and i i was i didn't get out of the hospital and and rehab the whole process until uh november of that year wow yeah, yeah, you, you kind of. 2020 was not the uh, year that most of us thought it would be. I was uh, looking forward to it. I was uh, making statements like, well, I'm going to have 2020 vision. And uh, in- yeah. instead, we had 2020 sickness, and it was crazy. But I am so grateful, man, that you made it through. Grateful that you uh, really are, for the most part, back to where you were before in in your health, and you're you're getting there, and these things are are all coming together. I think your story is particularly inspiring, in the fact that you overcame all of these uh, really close bouts with death, and even being intubated not once but twice. So many people that was not their story, and I'm grateful that no. it wasn't yours. Well, and and it is by the blessing of the Lord that there's no doubt in my mind that, as as I say, the doctors they referred to me as as the miracle man. Mm-hmm. They they had no they had no explanation uh, f- for my survival, no medical explanation. Wow. And I'm fir- I firmly believe it was that you know the Lord saved me for some reason. I was actually was blessed in that regard. After actually flatlining, I mean, I did technically die for about a minute and a half. Yeah. That is that is a story, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you're still with us. You know, you talk about in this book uh, this conspiracy, and we know that there's all sorts of words that uh, describes conspiracies. There are, there are people that would like to make us think that everything that's going on right now is only a conspiracy theory and not really happening, but you have uh, uncovered through this what informed novel that you've got, informed fiction, there's a lot that's going on that actually is going on with great purpose. It's not an accident, and it is a conspiracy. And there's a lot that uh, you're uncovering in this process. Indeed. I mean, think about back to the 1960s. I mean, uh, there were there were four major assassinations in the 1960s. John F. Kennedy, president, of course, was killed in November of 63. Malcolm X leader of uh, black nationalism, Nation of Islam leader, human rights activist, was assassinated on, in February 65. 
Then, of course, King was assassinated in April of 68. And just a month later, Senator Robert Kennedy, campaigning for yes. president, was shot and killed at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. Part of this historical fiction points to what what our government and its leaders were capable of doing mm. and, and all within you know they, they they tried to cover it in what was what was good for the national security what was good for national interest and and so they justified the government of the united states taking the lives of in, in the 60s of four historical figures that have set had several things in common they were all national leaders they were all excellent communicators and orators and could move huge chunks of people mm -hmm. from one in one direction or another but they all opposed the vietnam war and that was this, the most significant thing that they had in common which was the the, the leading factor to their demise to their death to their assassination wow and i deal with that conspiracy as well and what what drove that that conspiracy and what drove the deaths of all four of those individuals now as the name of the book is memphis are. right it's memphis and it will be available uh very soon on book baby it's on book baby is the place to go and you can buy an ebob or a, a paperback copy of it and i would encourage everyone to do that i think it's a it's a good read it's a good story and it's the beginning of as i say the 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 saga of this uh, young uh, broadcaster, Matt Harrison, in the 1960s. Wow. Well, we have to have you back on after it releases, after people have had a chance to read it, and uh, after I have a chance to get a copy of it as well. I'm looking forward to it, Mike. Mike Hambrick is my guest. Mike, give us that website one more time where people can follow you. Sure. It's Save America's Freedom, America's plural, saveamericasfreedom.org. All right. It's great to have you on, and we wish for you a, a very Merry Christmas as you continued in your rebound from this horrible bout. I'm so grateful that we have you still with us, man. Thank you so much, and thanks, Mike, for having me on. It, it was really a pleasure to be here with you. Thank All you. All right. Well, we'll be back in a moment with Nina May right here on Afternoons with Mike. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando, offers three distinct areas of study an evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Back again for segment three, and on the line with me, she's been here before, is Nina May. She's a writer, a producer, and a director, and uh, she uh, is really uh, aware of what's going on with a lot of the news stories, a lot of the culture issues that we're all hearing about, and so often, especially in the area of reparations, we hear that word, we hear it brought up in news stories. I think most Americans lack the context uh, and, and much less the the reasoning behind uh, what is being talked about. Uh, but these are real issues, and they're costly ones, and there's a lot we need to know that we don't know. So with all of that, Nina May, nice to have you back again. Well, thanks for having me. We really appreciate it. So this thing about reparations, tell us yes. about that. Well, what they're talking about, especially Gavin Newsom out in California, is basically saying that everyone— with pigment in their skin in the United States, regardless of where they came from, they just came over the border yesterday. It doesn't really matter. They want to give, he wants to give them all $250,000 just because they've got pig, pigment in their skin, supposedly to repay, and I'm using quote marks with my fingers, uh, repay them for the time, the days of slavery. Mm -hmm. So first of all, there's not a person alive that lived under slavery, not a person alive that owned a slave, not one. So what, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? And I have said, and we put out a documentary at least 15 years ago called Reparations Who Should Pay, because we knew that this debate was going to be coming up at some point. And that's a sequel to our 
uh, long version documentary called Emancipation, Revelation, Revolution. Well, the, the problem is, well, not the problem, actually, the, the point is with doing a reparations hearing, so to speak, is you're going to have to present all the evidence that shows why these this money should be paid for reparations. Well, let's go back in history. The Democratic Party was the one that was pushing for slavery. They did not um, they did not want to back down on it, even though you had the Kansas Nebraska Act and the the um, uh, Missouri Compromise. All of these different elements that were trying to put a, a a stop to slavery. They said no, we can't we can't live without our slaves. So they basically divided the nation. They seceded from the Union specifically to keep slavery alive because now it had been outlawed. The, the United States government had outlawed slavery for years, and um, they were just not abiding by this law. So you have the Democrat Party that divided the nation in a war on the issue of slavery. They totally and unanimously opposed the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment. They were the ones that founded the KKK as a terrorist arm of their party right after the end of the Civil War in 1860. The war ended in 1865 and 1866. They founded the, the KKK to terrorize the newly emancipated, emancipated blacks to keep them from voting because every single one was voting Republican. Because, of course, uh, Abraham Lincoln was right. the, the first Republican president, and the Republican Party was only maybe 11 years old at the time of the end of the war. It was founded as a, an abolitionist party, and a lot of people don't know that. There were nine planks in their original platform. Again, this is a Republican Party. Nine planks in their original platform. Six dealt with equal rights, voting rights, emancipation, um, you know, in, total integration, no segregation. And uh, the Demo Democrats absolutely were opposed to that. So fast forward to today, a lot of people say, well, that was then, this is now. Well, not so much. There was a man called um, Senator Robert Byrd. Mm -hmm. He was a Democrat from West Virginia, and at his funeral, a eulogy was given by our current president, Joe Biden. So Joe Biden was giving a eulogy for a KKK, not just a member, but a leader who regularly used the N-word on national broadcasts. Nothing was said about that. It was, you know, just double standards. Of course, we've always seen the double standards. If you go back, um, go back now, so, so basically, there's still... Uh, they're still supporting people who were members of the KKK. Hillary Clinton said that Robert Byrd was the conscience of the Senate and he was her mentor. This is a member of the KKK, current day. This is not 150 years ago. This is current day that this is happening. So go back in time to uh, when this division was happening. There was a discussion of slavery. This is before the Civil War. And there's a man, Charles Sumner. Charles Sumner was one of the founders of the Republican Party. He was giving issuing a, a um, he was a senator, and he was giving a speech about the evils of slavery. He was on the Senate side, and there was a member of the House, Preston Brooks, who heard about this. He comes over from the House side to the Senate side, and starts hitting Charles Sumner over the head with his cane. It was a big ball of metal on the end of his cane crushed his skull what he should have died oh, crushed I just... the skull of charles sumner a lot of people don't know this right on the senate floor and guess what the democrats did they applauded they applauded that this man was almost killed in front of them on the senate floor by a republican i mean by a democrat um member of house member of the house so he's out for three years he comes back in very uh, is still very weakened by this blow it's a miracle he even survived and what's one of the first things he does, he introduces a bill, this is a Republican, introduces a bill against slavery one more time. He was not going to back up on his position on, mm -hmm. on anti-slavery. And again, right. I keep saying he was a Republican. The man who smashed his skull was a Democrat. Every single slave owner in the country at that time were all Democrats. They all belonged to the Democrat Party. So if you're going to have any kind of reparations today, you have to – basically tack that bill to the door of the DNC and say they have to pay those reparations. What, now, how can they pay it? I mean, you, you're mentioning a figure that is mind-boggling. And Gavin Newsom recently was in the news talking about really a, a kind of one of the first 
a, a leader of his uh, level to stand up against the current administration, saying that if uh, this continues on with all the immigration situation, it was going to break California. Well, that seems to be minuscule compared to what oh, yeah. the reparation Absolutely. would do at $250,000 per person. Exactly. And how do you, you would have to say, okay, if you're getting reparations, it has to be that you're being repaired from some wrong that happened to you. Well, again, I say not one single person alive today was a slave or a slave owner at at that time. So do you have to then go back to your papers and uh, go back through genealogy, go to 23andMe, whatever you're going to do, and prove that you literally were the offspring or the ancestor now of the... uh, of a slave owner or a slaveholder. What about all the Union troops that died trying to liberate the slaves? Every single one of those, like 300,000 or something like that, every one of them and their families, they should get reparations because they lost a loved one as they were trying to liberate slaves. So who should pay the pay the bill? This is what your question is. The Democratic Party should pay the bill. If there is reparations in this country, it should absolutely fall in the Democratic Party to pay every single person that is a, a, um, a descendant of a slave or the descendant of someone that was in the Union Army that lost their life fighting this war that was trying to keep slavery alive. Mm. So, yeah, we can have that discussion, but it's not going to come out of the purse of the, of the American people because most Americans are descendants from people that immigrated long after slavery. I mean, I'm second generation. I mean, every, almost every single person I know is second or third generation. We didn't own slaves. My family came from um, Sweden and France. They didn't own slaves. So why should I have to have my tax money go to pay for the wrongdoings of a specific uh, political party when we can prove that they were the ones that caused, not just only did they cause a division in the country and um, you know the Jim Crow laws that were there to keep blacks from voting, they were the ones that instituted the whole Plessy v. Ferguson, separate but equal. You you can have equal rights. You can vote and everything, but you can't live in our neighborhoods. You can't bank at our banks. You can't sit at our, our soda fountains or go into our restaurants and stuff. So it's separation. It was the Democrats that pushed for separate but equal. And it was 100 years. Let me just put, rewind a little bit. The first 23 um, black members of the U.S. House of Representatives, every single one of them was Republican. First member of the Senate, Hiram Ravels, was black, was a Republican. They, they, Democrats didn't have a member of the um, of the U.S. Congress, a black U.S. member of the Congress for 100 years after the end of slavery. And that was Barbara Jordan in Texas. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just look at their history. Look at all the southern governors who closed down schools instead of integrating them. Virginia was one of them. We're in the Virginia area. There were uh, every single one of the Southern um, governors did that. The only one we really hear about is George Wallace. You maybe hear about mm-hmm. uh, uh, Faubus, I think is another one. Not that we want to remember their names because they're not, uh, they're not no- noteworthy as far as remembering anything good that they did because they continued to divide the nation. All the issues we have today with race, it, you can put it at the doorstep of the Democratic Party. They have been the racist party from the beginning, and nothing is new. And if there's reparations to be paid, they should pay it. You've got a lot going on in this documentary that you've produced, Emancipation, Revelation, Revolution. How can people see it, Nina? If you go to errvideo.com, you can see uh, you can see how to link up to ERR, but you can stream directly from the site the reparations one. That one's only 20 minutes. I would encourage anyone, everyone that's listening to this, to go there, download it, stream it, watch it, have this discussion. And then if you want a deeper dive into it, then you can get the um, Emancipation Revelation Revolution, which gets into a lot of different you know, issues and discussions about the whole, the whole issue of w- literally why we are where we are today. It's the history of the civil rights movement in America and the role that both parties have played in it and what happens today when liberal, I'm, I'm sorry, when conservative blacks leave that liberal plantation and embrace the party of Lincoln and how they're treated. And you can see it all the time. I mean, look at how, um, uh, you know, like Candace Owens and and uh, Lawrence Jones and, you know, again, Alveda King, uh, Robert Woodson. I mean, tons and tons of amazing, Star, Star Parker, amazing black leaders who are identifying with the party of Lincoln as conservatives 
and the way they're treated and vilified. And Alveda King put it uh, to me so well. She said, we're going through a second civil rights movement. It's not about just the color of our skin. It truly is now about the content of our character. Mm -hmm. If we identify as Republicans or as conservatives or have family values or moral values, we are being vilified and demonized because how dare we leave that liberal plantation? And those are their words. Almost every single person that we interviewed used that term. They said, we've left the liberal plantation. And I'm thinking, now that's that's pretty powerful. And who was the runner? Who's the um, the foreman of the liberal plantation? It's the Democrat Party. Mm-hmm. And they're still doing exactly the same thing they've done for a gazillion years. What do you see the impact being of cinema leaving the Democratic Party? I think it's very brave of her to do that. I really wish she would caucus with the Republicans, though, because, you know, she's left stuck with uh, Bernie Sanders. I think one other person, I can't think of their name. So uh, she's making a point, though, that she is responsible for her constituents, not the party. Mm-hmm. The party didn't get her elected. Her constituents got her elected, and that's who she owes her her allegiance to. And I wish every single congressman, Democrat or Republican, would see it that way, see that they are there to serve the people that put them in office, not serve the party that funded them to get put in office. Mm. And, um, and and I think that there's I think there's going to be a lot of shaking going on in this type of thing. Manchin's the one to keep an eye on. Right. If he continues to play those little games, he's out of there. And, you know, he's playing the game still. He goes, well, I haven't quite decided if I'm going to right now. I'm a still a Democrat, but I'll let you know. And da, da, da. No, they need to find someone right now and start running them against Manchin. Just put a fork in him. He's done hmm. as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he has absolutely been it's the tail wagging the dog and everyone is put up with it. And th- that's it. That's over. Unless he switches parties today and says, I've seen the light. I'm a Republican. I'm going to caucus with the Republicans. But I don't see that happening. I just don't see that happening. Nina May, it's always great to talk with you. What's up for you in 2023? Well, hopefully making more movies. We love doing that. That's our happy place. Right. <laughs> it's just the, the problem now is deciding which one. We've got about 10 different ones to decide on. And uh, we need to start looking at that a little bit more seriously. In the new year, we'll definitely do that. We'll make that decision. Give us that website one more time where people can get a hold of ERR. Uh, ERRvideo.com. ERRvideo.com. Nina May, producer, writer, a spokesperson. You do a great job and very knowledgeable in this area. Thank you for enlightening us and giving us a little bit more information because we need it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and have a Merry Christmas. You too. Bless y'all. Bless all of y'all. All right. And friends, we'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike.